0: Dice Company is a sweary, brutal, violent podcast which deals with adult themes. No feelings were hurt in the making of it, but listener discretion is advised.
1: Welcome one and all to Dice Company Festive Special, where a group of old friends weave tales of happiness, warmth and cheer, under the guise of playing Dungeons and Dragons. My name is Tom, and I'll be your DM through the continuing adventures of this group of flavorless turkeys. Flavorless turkeys, please introduce yourselves and tell the audience one fun fact about your characters.
2: That is a Christmas outrage. Hello, my name is Charlie, I play Vander Finnick. Vander, as you know, enjoys various books, but he's running out. His most recent read is a book of old tales. The one he particularly likes is called A Tide Tale. he particularly likes the character Weenie Todd, who is a rather disadvantaged soul in the plot, but he doesn't understand why he doesn't simply beat the nobleman with his crutch in order to extract the funds he needs to
1: feed his family. Nevertheless, he's still a fan of Weenie Todd. Straight to the festive spirit. I love it. Uh, Why doesn't Weenie Todd just bludgeon the nobleman to death? Why doesn't everyone just bludgeon their betters to death, eh? Welcome to Evander Christmas.
3: Augustus is uncomfortable with this talk of beating your betters. Hello, I'm Alex and I'm playing Augustus. And my fact this week once again takes us back to Augustus's teenage years away at a boarding school in Lumetorn, the northern realm. And one winter he was walking in the hills and uh, walking in snowy hills in Lumetorn, and he decided to make a big snowball. So he rolled the snow as if making a snowman, making a bigger and bigger snowball, and then he rolled it down hill. Uh, unfortunately, it did snowball, and it gathered size and pace. Far down the hillside, it uh, obliterated a woodsman's hut, smashing it from the hillside. Augustus was pretty sure no one was home, so he sprinted away. And then that evening, he was in the local tavern, and... An enormous woodsman with an axe on his back kept appearing everywhere Augustus went. He went to the toilet, the giant woodsman was there. He went to the bar, the giant woodsman was there. Always looking at Augustus, a massive axe on his back. Nothing happened, perhaps because the woodsman knew he couldn't strike a young nobleman with his axe. But Augustus was pretty sure whose hut he took down with his snowball.
4: What a paladin. (laughs)
1: <laughs> you beat me to it!
3: <laughs> also, we don't understand Christmas. <laughs> yeah, that's as festive as I get. Just f- just snowy horrible.
4: So the solstice is uh, typically a-, a festive period in this world. And Benny has undelightful memories of it, because uh, when he was a young child in the orphanage, the governor absolutely delighted in telling stories of Uncle Margas who was a figure from folklore who, during the short period of darkness during the solstice, would uh, roam the land, causing bad things to happen to any children who happened to be out of bed and causing nuisance at that time. Uncle Margus was a figure of great fear. A little addition that the governor added was that there were random days during the year where Uncle Margus was also abroad, and one could never know which do- days those were. So children must be good at all times or risk his wrath.
1: I mean... Good luck, Harry. You've got your <laughs> saving
2: Christmas is is your job now.
1: <laughs> I don't want to say that we should be festive themed, but I don't think we have to be so anti-festive, do we? We <laughs> yeah. have to be so
3: miserable all the time, people. Can I point out that the tale of Uncle Margas is going to make the children of my real-life household rather better behaved? <laughs> <bit?
1: laughs> <laughs> Okay, and uh, to save Christmas,
5: Harry. Yeah, that's a tall order. Talk's not really that that uh, festive as a person. Brilliant. Hi, I'm Harry, and I'm playing Talk, an imposing six foot eight automaton. The winter or summer solstice is a time that will sort of naturally invoke uh, the night sky. We're used to the Christmas beans, were one of the shortest days and longest nights of the year in the world our characters habits, the night sky is somewhat different. Uh, the constellations are not the ones that we are used to. There is, wrapped around the pole, the sleeping dragon. Other constellations are the blinking dog, the dozing donkey, the winter wolf, the wrestling octopus and owl, the swarm of rats, the rascally weasel, the rival axebeaks, the lazing lion, the ravenous pony, the phasing spider, and the screaming fire hawk
1: cancel Christmas everyone it's we're done I've got nothing left
5: so wait there though
2: I just want to point out the astronomers if I'm an astronomer and I allegedly discover the what is it the fighting octopus and owl oh uh, yeah <laughs> have I really discovered anything <laughs> I feel like I've just found the stars. I mean, that's just a mess,
5: right? You're calling astronomy a fraud? <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah, no, I'm going there. I've put literal minutes into that, goddammit.
1: Firstly, to our listeners, a very merry festive season. To all those who, who celebrate it, in whatever way they celebrate it, this will be our last regular chapter before we take our own festive break for a few weeks. But fear not, we will be filling your stockings with some special episodes between now and then, which the team have been working hard to share with you. On top of that is the big announcement, which I think will reveal to you now. So, over to our communications expert, talk.
5: Greetings, humans, and happy date-misaligned Winter Solstice Celebration Day. Dies Natalis Solis Invicti. Dice Company are pleased to announce the impending launch of its very own Patreon service. The story will always be free to listen to, but the making of it is not. Along with supporting Dice Company, patrons will gain access to a new series, Extra Roll, where the humans will discuss their previous adventures, chapter by chapter. The Patreon will be launching January 16th with five episodes of Extra Roll and one a week thereafter. There is plenty of Extra Dice Company to come. We hope that you find this to be acceptable.
1: Well, thanks, Doc. This will hopefully tide you over while we prepare for the next arc of the story. The long and short of it is there's lots of very cool and exciting things happening. And from the bottom of all our hearts, thank you for your continued support. And with those announcements out of the way, let's get stuck into some delicious, festive dice company. Deck the tree with toxicals. Following your breakneck escape from the Empire, you descended into the vast and abandoned Dwarven Mining City of Verokir. Having equipped the stagecoach with minecart wheels, you were plunged into combat following the sudden appearance of the Shadow Vanguard Tiara. Though victorious over her, she escaped and caused a rockfall to block your exit from the ominous-sounding City of the Dead. Finding safety in a warehouse of sorts, you rest for the night. In the morning, Augustus' injuries take a turn for the worse, while Tox repairs take longer than expected in the cold damp of the cavern. Opting for once to be sensible, you decide to continue to rest in the safety of the warehouse for a few days, rather than risk pushing on in a state of exhaustion. After the extended rest, you awaken on the afternoon of the 19th of Gladden, half a day before the summer solstice. Fully healed and fully rested, the massive abandoned city of Verokir awaits. What would you like to do?
2: Well, Vanda's rather preoccupied. He's over in one corner of our hideout, and he is cradling something in his arms. Uh, Guys,
3: has Vanda got a baby over there?
5: I assumed that Vanda was a male of the species. I did not notice he was pregnant.
3: Augustus actually considers whether he knows what Vanda is. Uh, (laughs) and then heads over towards Vander with a look of concern on his face. Vander, old chap, what uh, what, what do you have there?
2: Vander appears to be cooing at the thing in his arms and stands to face the rest of the group. As he does so, he turns and in his arms is a small chameleon. Gentlemen, may I introduce an old friend of mine? This is Bellerathon. Vanda says with a degree of reverence. Uh, um...
4: You want to watch out there, Vanda. Missy might try and eat that.
2: I wish Missy the best of luck. This chameleon has seen much of battle. And the chameleon at this point crawls its way up onto Vanda's shoulder and uh, gives its tongue a, a little flick.
3: Uh, so Augustus wonders whether his lay on hands ability counts for psychological damage as well as physical damage. <laughs> No one's been watching Vanda in the cave. Vanda, tell us about Bellerophon and your bond with him or her. He
2: is a very old friend of mine. You see, one of the many gruesome side effects of my torture was an inability to move my hands in the relevant gesture to conjure my friend here. But I've been healing and just recently My movements have improved to the degree that I can again perform the motion required. The result is the return of my good friend, Bellerophon. The chameleon looks extraordinarily pleased to see Vanda, and pleased to be back. Its skin is already tinging to the colours of Vanda's robes.
5: Greetings, Bellerophon. I regret I have no insects to feed you.
2: Can I ask your proximity to Bellerophon?
5: Not terribly close.
2: Okay, you get a playful lick but it doesn't quite reach you. (laughs) Oh, he likes you. That's a good sign, Toc. Uh,
3: Vanda, this (laughs) requires a little more investigation. However, I I fear my incapacity in the last few days has delayed us enough. Perhaps we ought to consider our next move deeper into this city of the dead.
2: Vanda tickles Bellerophon under his little chameleon chin and nods. I agree. It seems to me we need to begin to find our way out of the darkness so to speak
4: yeah the longer we stay here the more i worry about leaving magnus aboard the airship i don't know what we're gonna come out to i'd like to make a move as fast as possible
2: indeed time is against us i don't suppose benny that uh, missy has had an opportunity to scout the darker corners of our situation
1: She certainly has. During your extended break, she has been scouting all around. She hasn't seen any living creatures in her travels. Um, The area that you're in appears to be mainly full of small warehouses. Uh, And as you get further in, you get more into the the centre of what becomes a city. But at the moment, you're very much in like a warehouse district.
4: I will relay that information to the team.
1: Very well, gentlemen. It, It seems...
3: With our entranceway blocked and an enormous underground city surely having more than one way in and out, unless the creators of this city intended to build themselves an enormous grave, we must go onwards in the hope of finding our way back into the daylight.
2: Reed. Vander now stands politely at the side of the stagecoach, clearly waiting for someone to help him into the driving position.
5: At Tok will be uh, happy to provide assistance lifting him up.
2: Most kind, Vanda says. And this time, Tok definitely gets a playful lick
3: from Bellerophon. On the wagon, everybody. Let's go.
1: As you prep the stagecoach for the off, a sudden chill sweeps through the warehouse. Um, With a crack of the reins, Vanda gets the horses going. And impossibly, outside, the chilly air has transformed into what appears to be snow falling. Ah, Not entirely expected,
2: Vanda says.
1: As you watch the snowfall become heavier and heavier, in a similar warehouse ahead of you, you hear the distant sound of bells.
2: Vanda's going to move the coach very slowly at this stage.
1: (laughs) As you approach the warehouse that seems to be the source of the musical sounds, you can see through an open doorway the crackling of a warm fire from inside.
2: Vanda pulls the stagecoach to a stop.
5: Toc and tick both
4: draw their swords. It appears that we are not alone. I don't know what's going on. I mean, Missy would have spotted this. I mean, if it had been here, if it had been here previously, she'd have, she'd surely have spotted it.
5: Missy would have observed the snow as well, would she not?
4: I'd have thought so.
5: Large caves can have their own weather systems, although snow on the summer solstice
4: seems improbable. Well, we are in mountains. It's not that. Suppose not. That is it. That surprising? I don't know.
2: There is a roof on this cave. I think, gentlemen, we must assume we are in the presence of some form of magical illusion, or indeed true magic.
5: That is
3: agreed. I mean, Augustus looks around at the magical lizard, magical raven, magical copies of automatons, <laughs> and just shrugs. There's like the, the presence of magic seems pretty mundane at this point. Tock's glowing magical sword. Exactly, I'm the only one with that, any magic tricks. Because you're a paladin. That's You said it like it was mean. I'm going to look it up on the D&D Wikipedia and get back to you with a, with a stinging retort.
2: <laughs> Gentlemen, I think that we are in no position to do anything other than investigate this to see if what lies inside can be turned to our advantage.
4: I find this to be acceptable. Well, I mean, what else are we going to do?
2: We are very much out of tricks, aren't we? I think we're alighting the car and making our way on foot towards the, the opening.
1: So with Tog and Tick's swords and shields drawn in a defensive formation and Benny having knocked an arrow ready to loose it, the however many of you there are now make your way to the open doorway.
3: I want to put on this fabled handbrake before we go because I don't want my coach and horses to go away. It's the only thing I've got in this world. <laughs> and I really don't want my heron livery to go off down a mineshaft. Vander acknowledges Augustus's eyebrow, presumably. It's a combination of winks and eyebrows, yes, as usual. Uh, He's learning
2: to read those, so I understand this particular facial spasm to mean, please pull the ornate
1: handbrake, which I then do. And you slowly move your way towards the open door in the warehouse. There's the sound of bells and gentle clattering. As you peer in, you see... And Richard, would you like to describe what they see? Oh, my God.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, they look into the warehouse and standing in front of a small dace at the far end, illuminated to some extent by the crackling fire, is a short rotund dwarf with a long white beard plaited at the end. He's wearing a dirty deep red outfit with an animal fur collar and cuffs. He looks vaguely around the room and eventually, his somewhat glassy stare alights upon you all.
1: And welcome to the show, Richard Gotton.
4: Benny just kind of lowers his bow in amazement.
1: <laughs> oh,
0: oh Merry Angar Mas, everybody. Oh, Merry Angar Mouse. Oh, a wee bit big, are you not? Oh, well, it's a little larger than doors, but I. Come in, come in, come in, and close the door after you. There's quite a draft.
2: Banders one eye roves the group and questioningly begins a tentative step forward.
5: Angamas appears to refer to the god Angavar Ramirion. The mass refers to the day of such deity.
2: You believe this dwarf is some. Manifestation of the celebration
5: talk? That is unclear.
3: The Augustus wants to keep this stick to a more understandable plane, and he was asked to close the door. And so he closes the door.
1: The door closes with a creak and a sh- click shut.
3: We're inside with the door shut now. Augustus needed to do something here.
1: Did you say Uncle Margass?
0: Me? No who's he? Uncle Margus? No, no. I'm Papa Angermas. How oh, can you do you and not know me? No. This is not very terribly surprising. Nobody does now, not for three and a half thousand years. Oh, I've got my work cut out with you, lot, I can see that. But come forward, come forward, please. Make yourselves comfortable.
4: Benny's sort of stunned into submission and just starts sort of wandering forward in a slightly, slightly dazed sort of way. Clearly this isn't a
5: threat. Or uh, well, The rest of the group doesn't take it as a threat. Doc's going to talk uh, and take will their swords.
2: Evander is going to shuffle forward. Bellerophon
3: has already crawled into one of his many pockets. Uh, yeah, Augustus comes forward too and says,
0: did, did you say three and a half thousand years? Well, give or take a century or so, it doesn't matter, it's Angalmas Eve, everybody. Angermas, have you no heard of it?
4: Well, it's the solstice, isn't it? It's the solstice. That's right. That's coming up, isn't it? Indeed. I've lost track of days since we've been down here, but I think it's the solstice. Coming up? Is that right, Toc?
5: The solstice will occur in approximately eight hours. Is that what you're talking about?
4: The solstice?
0: There were some people that used to call it that, but I called it Ungarmas, And that's how it was known to all the dwarves and the children of this world. The greatest festival of the year. Have you no know, heard of it, ever? Has it been that long since anybody celebrated Ungarmas?
5: Vanda, you speak dwarven, are you accustomed to dwarven culture?
2: I'm afraid I have no knowledge of this particular celebration, Talk I can only say I'm pleased we aren't faced with the visage of Benny's version. Gentlemen, I do not profess to understand Dwarf's intentions, but I believe he may know a way out. I suggest we play along and try subtly to gain the information we need. Vander turns graciously back to our host of sorts. A pleasure to meet you. I am Van Finnick. I understand you've been down here for some time without company. We're delighted to see the roaring fire. We're wondering if you might allow us to sit with you this eve.
0: Oh, yes. First of all, do you not know me? Has there no memory whatsoever of me percolated up to whatever regions you are from? Oh, I can see from your blank faces and none of
4: you know me. I
0: am Papa Ungamus, the spirit of this season.
4: Maybe, maybe the maybe dwarves would know you. You know, we're not we're not dwarven folk, so so maybe we're less up to date with them, um, with those kinds of celebrations.
2: He's three and a half thousand years old. If we're not up to date. <laughs>
4: oh, Tok Tok, what's um what's
5: your matrix say? And Tok will press the button and ask uh, for information on uh, Ungamus.
0: Well, you could always ask me, of course, without having to use your box of tricks. But well, I'm something of a world authority on it. <laughs>
1: <laughs> the device on your wrist clicks and whirs, and a voice rings out Time is the greatest solvent. Though your dreams will wash away, the weight of will slowly diminishes, fear subsides, for all things dissolve in time.
5: I believe knowledge has passed from this world is
2: going to again turn to our host and I want to try and establish, if I may, what we are looking at in terms of power. Is there, I assume, there's some form of magic given the snow earlier? Are we dealing with potentially quite a dangerous and powerful person, creature?
1: Give me an arcana check. Okay. Eleven. This is not a normal dwarf. There is definitely the vestiges of some power beyond normal dwarfhood within him. Um, could I try
3: using my divine sense? You certainly can. You can open your senses to detect powerful good or powerful evil, effectively. I mean, this really, this check was made for this, wasn't it? It's, it's, this is on a knife edge now. He's obviously powerful, but is he good or is he evil? <laughs> We're about to find out.
1: Augustus, you take a moment to try and summon the will of the god Tyr to help you understand exactly what you are facing. And, much like Benny when he inhabits Missy, your eyes momentarily flash white, and you sense in the room with you two fiends and one celestial creature.
3: Well, the fiends are obviously Benny and (laughs) Vander. Augustus sort of finds his way over to Tok, um, and just says, and just kind of whispers to Tok, Tok, get your cat totem out. I sense there are other beings in this place.
5: Uh, Toc will, as subtly as he can, take out the uh, the cat totem. Put his hand in a massive bag,
3: take out his periscope and just spin around the room.
1: Cool. Um, Everyone else in the room, you hear with perfect clarity the full conversation between Augustus (laughs) and Toc.
5: Well, Toc hasn't said anything, but presumably his rummaging around in his pack for the cat totem is not exactly subtle. Sorry,
1: yeah, you didn't say anything. It was just you (laughs) clattering around, dragging the cat totem out and holding it up to your eye and very obviously looking around.
4: I slump down in a comfy chair, exhausted by the idiocy that surrounds me.
2: Vanda does the same, but in a, a way that's attentive to our host, as
5: if
1: this is totally fine. You see nothing through the cat totem.
5: There are no invisible creatures in this vicinity, as yes, quietly as talk can, uh, you know, shout.
2: I think that means we're in the presence of a literal god.
4: Or a literal demon. I mean, he has, he has sort of said that.
2: <laughs> yeah, I mean, right now, he's there looking at us, and I, I can't help but feel that we're going to find out what deities can do.
3: <laughs> uh, Augustus uh, looks like he has a headache. What a paladin!
2: I'm intrigued to learn more of your tales. And I have nothing but time," Vanda says, as he rearranges himself in the chair. Tell us, what did this magnificent city look like back in the heydays
0: of this grand
2: festival of yours?
0: all right, since you ask me, uh, excuse me, I've got to go back onto this dais. You see, oh, here's my throne, I say, oh, 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 that's better. Oh, it's so lovely to see all your happy wee faces staring up at me. <laughs> Before I say any more, what have you brought for Papa Ungermas? What presents have you brought for me? Oh, shit.
4: What's, um, what's, what's traditional?
0: You see, I'll have to go back to the beginning with all of you. Ungermas is the greatest festival of the year. Outside is the coldest and darkest part of the winter. Wind icily whistles round the old grey stones of the hall. The blizzard rages, but inside all is light and cheer, blazing fires, tables groaning with food, every kind of drink you could possibly imagine. And people draw themselves up to the blazing log fires on great settles to tell stories. (laughs) To tell stories and sing songs, and give praise and presents to Papa Angarmas, that is, me. If you want to know more, there's one thing you could do for me. and we just, for once, the first time in three and a half thousand years, celebrate Angarmas? Certainly,
2: Vanda says. Uh, Of course, and uh, tell us,
0: how do these uh, celebrations begin? You'd never ask. Uh, Well, first of all, there's the gift-giving, of course, to me. Of course, you know, as you'd expect it, I mean nothing much, and I'm not choosy. Whatever you can afford, really, is the thought that counts. And after that, well... There's the madrigal singing. I always love the madrigal singing, particularly because uh, before you do start to sing, I have to give you my special nog. It's made of fermented mushrooms and reindeer milk. It coats the vocal cords and makes the voice come out loud and clear. And after that, we tell stories round the fire. Each one of you tells an Ungarma story. We're sure it's reindeer milk. I'm no a cook, but the, uh, the elves tell me it's reindeer milk. Uh, I have an endless supply of it. It's been maturing for many, many years.
2: OK, I'm getting mental message. I'm going to use a cantrip. Mental message to talk.
5: Be on piss check. The talk doesn't drink, so. Uh...
2: I've seen your straw.
4: Got a straw, yeah. <laughs> I've seen your straw. <laughs> yeah, that
2: does sound.
0: That doesn't sound festive. <laughs> I should tell you all at this point that I can hear you all fairly clearly and also read your thoughts. So uh, no, it's no reindeer piss. <laughs> <laughs> I know this is a thing with you but it forms no part of the master tradition
2: it, it, uh, Then allow me to uh, give you my gift, Vanda says desperately trying to get this deity out of his brain Vander quickly produces a book. I would like to present to you a book that has given me much joy It is called Sea Beast Takes a Lover. A grand tome and uh, the first installment of a series of a great hero and someone I admire deeply. I commend it to you. And with that Vanda passes the book over with actually a degree of sadness. That's quite the gift.
0: Oh, oh, I see. Something a little bit more uh, under the counter here it seems. Oh well, the long winter nights will just fly by with this
3: by me. Three and a half thousand years will go by in a flash to a sea beast takes a lover. (laughs) It's a hell of a book.
5: Uh, Tock will take out of his his bag of holding and uh, pass to two of the others Um, some gold plated cutlery that we didn't uh, get rid of yet, a uh, half drunk barrel of beer uh, that seems appropriate. And um, my half drunk barrel of beer. <laughs> and, yeah, well, exactly. And uh, a book, uh, Gastronomic Gnomish Goodies. Hang on, uh, you're passing those round to us? Yeah, if you want them. I mean, if everyone's taking them, he's are just taking them out of his bag, and uh, he'll pass over the gold plated cutlery to uh, uh, Papa Unguar and say, um, This cutlery is of Gnomish make.
0: Oh, well, looking inside your brain, I think I could see to you. I find this acceptable. <laughs> and can I also see, I'm not Papa... <laughs> it's Papa Ungermas. Papa Ungermas. That's right, Tin Man, you got it.
5: There is no tin in the construction of my armour.
0: Oh, I'm so sorry.
2: At this point, Bellerathon has made his way out of Vanda's pocket and over to the log fire. Unfortunately one of the logs looks vaguely chameleon shaped and Bellerathon is posturing.
1: What is um, going on?
4: Benny has a, a rummage in his, uh, in his backpack. He says, oh, um, you mentioned that um, the festival's about uh, bright things and joy in, in the darkness of winter. So uh, how about a lovely, bright bouquet of flowers? And I produce my flower-making wand whoosh, and produce a bright bouquet of flowers.
1: And the flowers burst up from the dirt from the grimy grey floor. A lovely smell fills the room.
0: Oh, that's really lovely. Oh, thank you
1: so much. I've not seen
0: flowers in, well, I suppose it's also three and a half thousand years. I've not seen any flowers at all. Not even snowdrops. Oh, these are beautiful gifts.
4: Ah. Turn to Vander and just go, so you do it.
0: And is still
3: clearly of the opinion that Sea Beast takes a lover is the king of presents that anyone could receive. Augustus hands over a fine silver cigarette case and says, I'm, "I, I, I apologise, Papa Ungamas. I, you, you find me low on supplies, but I hope you will enjoy this gift."
0: Oh, that's yes, is a fine gift indeed. Silver. What is it? What, what do I do with that? Press the wee button here. Oh. oh. Oh, what are these inside? Would these be exotic cheroots? <laughs> mm, in a cigarette case, that's one of the uh, less illicit pleasures of Angarmas. <laughs> I shall enjoy those at a later stage. So, so you, you've all done very well. You've all done very well so far with these gifts. I'm extremely pleased, and of course, I'm not in a position to be particularly choosy, because there's nobody else in the whole city. There hasn't been for three and a half thousand years. Uh, Oh, that was a terrible day, that was. when the blight struck this place. Can you tell us what happened? How did it happen? One moment, I was surrounded by happy little dwarves. The next moment, mindless, slathering zombies everywhere. All the people... Suddenly, these decaying, fleshless zombies staggering around. Well, when I say all, not quite all. A small group of the dwarves appeared to be immune. Most of them were devoured by the zombies, but a few of them managed to fight their way out. They escaped from the city, but as they escaped, they turned and they cast a great spell of sealing on it. Sealing the zombies in the city forever. Then they turned and fled. But they forgot, trapped me inside as well. So for three and a half thousand years I've had no company but these zombies. And I can't do anything about it. They have no power over me. They slink away into the dark shadows where I can't see them. And I can't do anything about it.
2: Feel I must ask Do you know the location of these
0: zombies
2: at this particular moment?
0: No. As I say, they creep gibbering away into shadows. If I come near them, they just vanish.
2: Ah, so your presence is most reassuring,
0: Vanda says with some relief. (laughs) I think I can safely say, young man, the only safe place in this city is with me. And what might these brave explorers do? to release you. These are things that used to be very clear, but my mind's wandered. My mind wanders all over the place. I can't really keep a thought in my head for more than five or ten minutes, and sometimes it seems... If you don't mind, I think I'll light one of the exotic sheroots. It might help to clarify my thoughts. Banda follows suit. I've got a slight memory of soothing piano music in this kind of situation. Oh, was that? For? Oh, never mind. Anyway, it was before <laughs> your time. Anyway, I think I can say to you only, this young man with the plastic face. If the adventurers can find the blight, the cause of it, whatever or whoever it may be, and I've need it. It's still here in this city. If it can be destroyed, the zombies will disappear. They will rot away into the carrion that they are, and I will be free forever. I will be able to find my people, what's left of them, the ones that were able to escape, and Angarmas will be celebrated once more. That is my purpose. My purpose is to be the spirit of Angermas. It's a living death for me down here. I'm so grateful to you all for celebrating a small part of Angarmas, all there's more to come. But I can tell you this if you perform well in the rest of the tasks, well I'd I don't want to think of them as Tarks, they like games, really. But, you know, if you can do well in these games, I will reward you. I will cast my beneficent spells upon you. And that's no mean feat, I can tell you. Eh? You'll have the time of your lives. And you look like you'd do with a little bit of pleasure. You look like you've, you've seen too much.
2: It did seem Quite more than perhaps many have before death
4: takes them. I've watched Vander eat in soup, for example. Well, my mind was flashing back to
3: Benny casting illusions of corpses last I don't know last five minutes ago, I can't
2: remember. Presumably we're just peppering Papa Angamus with horrid imagery at this stage, then are we
4: Four Minds are just
3: having a series of like horrific
4: flashbacks. In summary, you are correct.
2: I most gratefully receive your offer of completing our celebrations and, with your blessings, concluding matters here, maybe even with the finding of this source of
0: evil you mention. If you could do that, you'd have my undying gratitude, but first of all, the fire's burning. Let's carry on with our Ungermass. Let's put these gloomy thoughts of zombies out of our minds and get on with the madrigals. You know what a madrigal is? Negative. Anybody know what a madrigal is? It's a song, is it not? It is indeed, young man. It is indeed a song. And if you'll do me the pleasure of taking some of this nog, more will come to you. I'm gonna praise, here, here, I've just got it in my sack, here, here, here's some, some glasses, quick, uh, I, <laughs> I'm going to pour the nog for you, I'll pass it out to you, there, there you go, there you go, take the nog, we'll have the madrigals
4: next. I guess this is, um, this is vintage nog, isn't it? Why? How many thousand years old is the milk we're about to drink? <laughs> Three
0: and a half thousand years, it was a good vintage.
4: Okay, right. The eggs
0: were particularly good that year. Vander sips his nog. I don't know if
1: I'm expecting some huge impact from this, but I'll have a sip.
4: Old D10 psychic damage. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely.
1: <laughs> it it tastes surprisingly delicious for something that is three and a half thousand years old and made of eggs and mushrooms and somehow reindeer milk as well. And the, the the feeling warms you in your belly.
0: Have a noggin of nog. That's a little joke for people over the age of uh, three and a half thousand years. <laughs> <laughs>
3: uh, Augustus looks at Vander and sees that Vander appears not to have died from the nog and joins him in a cautious sip.
4: And he looks at it and then just goes, well, down that, I guess, and knocks it back in
5: front. Uh Tok will uh, we'll take a... Uh... Uh, a noggin of nog, and uh, again, the little straw flicked down from under his chin, and uh, he'll take a, a small amount of it. It's like a little sample. I detect no decay products in this nog.
1: Can I have performance checks from all of you, please? We're doing a team performance check. That is a shocking 18 for
3: Vander.
4: 5 <laughs> for Benny. Oh. 10 for Toc.
3: 8 for Augustus.
2: I knew Vanda was the best singing voice.
5: <laughs> Talk second best. <laughs>
2: so Vanda casts message uh, so that the group have some form of collective tune to sing. and with yes. and with that and some considerable trepidation, Vanda turns to the rest of the group and says, Ahem, a one, two. A one, two, three, four. Singing through the snow,
5: In a, a way, dear, Who the We go
3: laughing
2: all, all the way.
5: way. Ha, ha, ha. Well, There's
2: one making a mess. night to Oh, jingle bells, jingle bells, jingle all the way.
1: Worse than I imagined it would be. Why was it so slow? It was, at, it was
4: at like
3: one third of the pace of the song. It's like a funereal. Jingle bells. <laughs> that I don't understand. <laughs> every every line I was trying to go slower and I find myself at the end while Tok and Vander were on the first word. Do you think we've
2: condensed the more tale of a Christmas Carol into a single song? <laughs> Is it just a giant warning message?
0: <laughs> well, uh, uh, this truth's pretty good, isn't it? I seem to have a kind of zoned out there. Uh, have you have you sung your madrigal?
2: Yes, we have, Papa Angamas, and it was, if I may say myself, quite a symphony of noises.
0: <laughs> oh, was it? I. Uh... I've had a bit of the glass of the knob myself. I heard these heavenly voices on the air, which seemed to somehow chime with the music of the spheres. Would that have been you I was hearing? Almost oh, definitely. Sounds about
5: right. Yes. Yeah. Possibly.
0: Good, good, go oh, well, oh well, oh well, I, I'm a man of my word and I'll know what you do it again. I can't even mind whether it was you I was hearing or something else. Anyway, I'll say that was a pass, shall I? I'll say that was pretty good. I'm pretty satisfied with that. So, that brings us to the last part of our Angermas Games. But I think before we do that... Let's have a wee bit more of the anger mass atmosphere.
4: Thought you were going to say a bit more nog.
0: Well, you can have more Nog if you like. This. I mean,
4: if it's going, I wouldn't say no. Yeah, I,
0: I, no problem, no problem, young man. I've got, I've got three and a half thousand years of it to make up. This <laughs> barrel here, just pass it around, pass it around.
2: Has Papa Ungamus been making three and a half thousand years of bootlegging? Is that, is that what <laughs> this is?
5: That's why there's so many warehouses around.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I like also that I can see everyone on the screens filling up their drinks as they're getting passed out. That's a nice touch.
0: So before we go any further, my young friends, I will cast the spell, the spirit of Angermas. And Papa Angamas makes a whole series of strange passes. His eyes roll in his head. Jita, roll, omega, Angermas.
1: And the room begins to populate with the most magnificent feast you've ever seen. We are talking roasted meats and boiled vegetables and desserts. The entire warehouse is now full of the smells of cooked fats and delicious red meat on the bone. There. Is that not a bit better,
0: eh? Does that not warm the cockles of your heart? Let's confess we are
2: quite famished Vanda says looking greedily at all the things he can mash into soup
4: i've never seen anything like it what a feast it's incredible
0: anything you desire will be here whatever your fancy you'll find it on that table the mulled wine the spiced ale everything is here draw your stools up to the blazing fire there and let's have the last part of the Angermask games. Fill your plates, fill your glasses, more nog if you want it, but there's every other drink you could possibly desire here too. And then the last part, I'll hear your Angermask stories. And if they're good, I'll tell you a story of my own.
2: In an ecstasy of delight, Vanda sees on the table a huge bowl of the most sumptuous soup he's ever laid his one eye on and shambling uncharacteristically fast towards it he places himself in front of this feast and begins to slurp.
4: Benny glances at Paparangamas and he's like so are you sure anything
0: anything you like what's your favorite what haven't you had for years what haven't you had since you left your home. Apricots.
4: you know what I've heard about? I've never, I've never had a Mashed potatoes with real butter and cream.
0: Well, let's just have a wee look under this silver cover, shall we? Oh, I do believe it's mashed potatoes with butter and cream.
4: Benny grabs a plate and piles it high with mash and meat and all sorts of veg and everything and just sits down looking very, very happy indeed.
3: Uh, Augustus will definitely fill his plate, maybe not quite so enthusiastically as our uh, lifelong starved friends, but he'll, yeah, he'll take a plate and fill it up and take a seat.
5: Toc will dutifully sit on a poor creaking stool, all 500 pounds of him, and, and tick as well, but neither of them will uh, uh, eat or drink anything at the table.
2: Meanwhile, while this is unfolding, Bellerophon has continued his battle with the fireplace. Uh, At the current moment, he still believes one of the logs to be a rival chameleon and has dutifully changed himself to a crimson colour and made
1: himself as large as a small chameleon can make itself. Again, posturing. The rest of you pile your plates high and sit down on the stools around the fire as invited by Papa Angamas, ready for the storytelling. Do
4: you want me to, to give it a go? I don't know. I don't know if this is. I don't know if this is quite what you're after, but I can have a go if you like.
0: Well, any kind of story, but it should be uplifting and it should be joyous, if that's possible. Although, of course, at this season of the year, there's also a place for a spooky story. is entirely up to you. I wonder where our wheelhouse is. <laughs>
1: Not gonna be uplifting, is it, Jesus? <laughs> <laughs>
4: Here's my interpretation of an uplifting story. We've not, all, I've not always really had the opportunity or, or the inclination to really celebrate the solstice, but I do remember, I do remember one year. It was shortly after I'd, uh, I'd managed to make it out of the orphanage, and I were living with a, a small group of other of other folk in a in a cellar, and we were sort of scrapping by, doing a bit of you know a little bit of petty crime, bit of bit of pickpocketing that sort of thing. And the solstice was coming round, and I can't remember who it was, but someone said they wanted to. Um, have a celebration, have a feast, and they'd heard that over to west of city there were farms on the outskirts with chickens. And they said, "Let's get us a chicken and have a have a solstice feast." So we thought we would. We trekked all the way over. It took hours walking to the outskirts at city. But when we got there, we discovered they were right. There were there was a farm there. We could see a pen with chickens in. There were nobody around, so we thought we'd just uh, pop over the fence and get ourselves a chicken for a feast and you know have a celebration and share it round. so hopped over the fence never come across a chicken before they're fast aren't they Faster, noisy a lot faster and a lot noisier than we were anticipating and well as you can imagine chaos ensued with people trying to dive on chickens and the chickens dashing away and squawking and there was all sorts of chaos and panic and oh it was ridiculous and I'd finally managed to dive on one and I got it tucked under my arm and just at that moment picked myself up and farmhouse door opened and there standing in the doorway were a woman and she saw me and I saw her we made eye contact and I was certain I was certain she were going to start screaming place down shouting for the farmer and shouting for the farm hands and bringing the law down on us she just looked at me Gave a little smile and shut the door. Went back inside and we legged it. We legged it and we had a chicken. We had a feast. I mean, we couldn't cook. So half of it were raw and half of it were burnt and most of us got food poisoning, but we were pretty good. We <laughs> were pretty good, I tell you. How was that? Is that what, is that what you were after?
0: Aye, well, it had a certain artful dodger charm, I'd say. That's an ungunned story. And I think we've all learned something about ourselves and that, or at least we've learned something about you anyway. So, who's next up? It should not surprise any of you
3: now to learn that my home as a child was a palace. That's really, it's a great story. (laughs) And that's the end. Now where's my present? (laughs) At the age of 13, I admit to being a somewhat entitled individual. Pauses for people to come in, you know? And... At that time i took some pleasure in teasing the servants and there was a young boy in particular of around my age who i enjoyed playing tricks and pranks on and one day i was idling around the palace and spotted him and thought i might play a prank on him and then i saw him steal a small fruit pie from the kitchen it was in the approach to the Solstice Festival and a great feast was being prepared, including delicious fruit pies. This one I think was a a cherry pie. And I saw this boy, to my amazement, steal a pie from the kitchen and quickly disappeared and i followed him ready to jump out on him as he came around a corner perhaps make him drop the pie even throw it into his own face i had all kinds of visions of a hilarious prank and enjoying catching this boy red-handed and maybe th- making him think i would hand him over to the guards as i followed him he led me around a corner to a place where a young girl maybe 10 years old was sleeping in a chair again she ought to have been working but she was a you know a young child she was obviously a exhausted and she was sleeping with her chin on her chest upright in this chair and the boy approached the girl and I thought for a minute he was going to play a prank perhaps throw the pie at the sleeping girl but he gently laid the pie on her lap without waking her and walked away on swift quiet feet and left the pie on her lap. Now they were both thin and perhaps not starving, they lived in the royal palace after all but they weren't, they wouldn't have been well fed. they would have been been fed enough. Uh, And I stood dumbfounded at what I'd seen. I mean, the boy had nothing and yet he'd given it away. And that story, that seeing that happen has always stayed with me. Uh, And it, it made me think that any person, however high or low in the world, perhaps at the solstice at the very least, might give what they can to help another person. And if
0: you go to sleep, you might wake up with a pie on your lap.
5: My construction was finalized, and I first gained awareness near this time on the Aestival Solstice. On these anniversaries of construction, ticks and tocks have long had a tradition of exchanging gifts, mostly curiosities of little interest to you humans, rare plants or fungi, such as the invisible orchids from Landero, particularly dramatic views such as the fastness of the Last Gate or the teeming life amid the wrecks and reefs of the Kerbera Archipelago. Small constructed items, like this wood and leather inlaid case Tick gifted me, lit with golden... maybe another time. I intend to continue this tradition with my newfound family." Uh, Tok will reach into his pouch at his waist and take out a series of four thin silver chains suspending uh, small beads of what appears to be a clear light orange amber as he passes them to the rest of the uh, the group you'll see contained within each is a mosquito with a deep red engorged blood sack
2: oh why thank you Talk, Vander says uncertainly taking this item oh lovely uh what do we do with such a gift
5: if you ever find yourself falling from an airship consume the mosquito
2: that's a choice isn't it
5: indeed the artifact will suspend your fall much like mine and tick's fall was suspended during our descent
2: i see a very apt gift given our mode of transport thank you again talk i very much appreciate it And bandus does place it around his round his neck.
5: Out of character, this is a uh, a magical item that Tok has constructed for the rest of the party. Uh, It's a single use of activation of the Featherfall spell, Uh, so Benny and Augustus have one as well.
2: This is what you were doing whilst off the ship with your net. Indeed. In the the mist, hunting mosquitoes.
4: And we suspected you of doing terrible blood magic.
2: (laughs) Oh, he was doing terrible blood magic. Just turns out (laughs) the end goal is for us to drink it.
4: Yeah. Okay. Sorry. Let me ta- let me let me restate that. And to think, we thought he might be doing terrible blood magic that wouldn't benefit us specifically.
5: <laughs>
4: he's, a, he's a sweetheart. Of course, he's gonna.
5: <laughs> <laughs> it must be crunched within the teeth.
2: Oh, good lord! I'm also thinking. Yeah, this this is just going to be people falling and unchaining their, their necklace to find it, just whisked away. <laughs>
4: The necklace is long enough for you to just grab it and put it in your mouth. As the character with the highest dexterity score on Fiona came out, it's to be honest.
5: Ah, Christmas.
4: Wouldn't be the same without blood magic.
5: I always say that.
0: Ah, oh, you interest me strangely, automaton. So, that brings us to Vander, isn't it? Your story, Mr. Fennec. Of course. As you can
2: see into my thoughts, and though I am not someone disposed to talking of my past, I will, of course, oblige. I loved my mother. She was a genteel lady for whom I had a great deal of affection. And As a child growing up in the noble house, I did. Affection was hard to come by. My father, whilst being a great man was not a warm soul, and so I found solace in the relationship I had with my mother. With deep sadness, I learned in my very early years that she suffered from a sickness that quickly took her abilities to read, and later even to remember my name. I still clung to her, though, and remember spending many hours telling her of my day, my aspirations, and she would quietly listen though it was with some pain, I was aware she couldn't hear the words I spoke. I remember one year feeling a deep sadness that my father had removed from me a gift I held most precious, a horse constructed of wood, crude in its form, but nevertheless a companion to me and a toy I would play with each afternoon. Clearly, he felt it was not the pursuit of a young noble. I remember weeping to my mother, exclaiming the loss of my toy, and the joy I would be denied, knowing though that she couldn't hear my words. One day though, as I approached my mother, I found something clasped in her hands. It was the horse. I took it and realized in that moment that some of my words could be heard, and that in a moment of lucidity she had taken possession of and found the time to conceal the horse, so I might again play with the toy I loved so much.
0: Those stories were absolutely lovely. I've been starved of stories, of course, for three and a half thousand years. There's more to you all than meets the eye, isn't there? When I first saw you, I thought, hmm, is the artful Dodger Lord Snooty a tin man and a man with a plastic face. I don't really have much confidence that is going to be an to remember it's going to be an ungarmash to forget. But you've shown me something. Underneath the plastic face there's a boy that loves his mother. And underneath that aristocratic exterior there's somebody who can be moved by the giving of a pie. Mr. man, I called you, the automaton. You care about your friends. And you? Benny, isn't it? Aye. Once again, the simple pleasures, the hard-bitten exterior, but underneath that, you're just a wee boy that would like to have a bit of chicken. (laughs) Oh, it's so lovely. This is the spirit of hunger, (laughs) Mars. Yes, you've done very well. I've heard so many stories. I wouldn't mind telling you a story of my own, if that's all right. And I think we'd probably had enough of the heartwarming stuff for one night. So perhaps I'll remind you of the darker side of this season.
2: If we have to roll for initiative,
0: I'm gonna cry in real life. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's only anger master, only stories. I remember many, many years ago, I had a dwarven servant named Alberich. And uh, one day, well, I sent Alberich to market to buy some Angamas provisions. And in a little while he came back. He was white and trembling. And he said, Papa Angamas, just now when I was in the marketplace, I was jostled by a man in the crowd. When I turned, I saw it was death that had jostled me. Alberich said, Death had looked at him and made a a threatening gesture, so he said, now Papa Angamas, please lend me your horse, I will ride away from this city, I must avoid my fate, I will go to Slate home, where death will not find me. So I lent Alberich my horse, and he mounted it, and he dug his spurs into its flanks, and as fast as the horse could gallop, he went, and I went into the marketplace, and I saw Death standing there in the crowd with his white face and his black cloak. I went up to him to have a word with him. I said, Death, why did you make a threatening gesture to my servant when you saw him this morning? That was not a threatening gesture, Death said, it was only a start of surprise. I was astonished to see him here in Storia Balrevor, for I have an appointment with him tonight. In
2: Sleet home. Vanda's not crying anymore. He's now staring in wide-eyed amazement at the story, having clearly enjoyed that immensely.
0: I thought you'd like that, Vanda. Thank you for sharing Papa Angamus.
2: Indeed, a most enjoyable tale. As he says that, Bellerophon, now finished with his posturing, makes his move on the offending log and his tongue lashes out at the burning log, drawing the log violently out of the fire and straight at Bellerophon. This results in a crash as Bellerophon and the log collide. Naturally, unfortunately for Bellerophon, he is the loser of this clash and he disappears only to reappear a moment later on Vanda's shoulder looking very sheepish and slightly defeated. He's a fighter. Papa Ungamus, I was uh, wondering in the midst of these festivities whether you had had a chance to consider the possibility that a group like ours might find a way out of this cave. Of course, we will do what
0: we can to assist you. This is where our best interests come into a glorious alignment, is it not, (laughs) see? Because, as I said, the great mages of three and a half thousand years ago cast a spell of sealing on this city, and it serves my purpose as well as it serves yours. If you can find the blight, the cause of it, and destroy it, whoever or whatever it is, that, my young friend, is the only way from this place. I would be sorry to conclude this lovely evening on such a melancholy note, particularly when you've all done so well in the stories and in your madrigal, at least what I imagined was your madrigal. (laughs) So, lest people should say that I'm a taker and no a giver, I have decided to break my rule. I have here some gifts for you all. You'll see them just over there under the tree. They're all wrapped up in pretty paper <laughs> with their
2: names on them. Vander rises and begins to make his way in the direction of the tree. Augustus, this appears to have your name on it. Vander passes Augustus a gift.
1: Augustus
3: gladly takes
1: it. What have we got? Augustus, you, uh, you open the beautifully wrapped present with your name on it. And inside, you find a small candle. As you investigate this, trust me, better than just a candle. As you investigate the candle, you realize that it burns blue instead of the traditional orange and red. The flame flickers in the direction of the nearest exit to wherever the holder is. Something to light you in the darkness.
3: That has very... Obvious uses in the short term, as we are trapped in a place with no exits. Uh, Vanda picks up another parcel.
2: Uh, Benny, I think this is for you.
4: Could you could you pass it over, Vanda? I'm not sure I can move after all them potatoes. Uh, Toc will get up, grab the parcel, and pass it over to Benny. Oh, thank you, Toc. You're a sweetheart.
1: Benny, you open up, and inside you find a rolled piece of very fine parchment. A quick study and survey of it shows you that this is spy parchment. It conceals writing unless specific circumstances happen. For example, you could write a note and tell the paper only to show it to Toc, and the writing would only appear if Toc were to look at it.
4: Very nice. Thank you very much, Paparongimus. This will come in extremely handy.
1: I
0: believe it will. You're a man with many secrets, I think and this will help you to keep them all the more safe.
4: Well, I'm an open book, but nonetheless, I'm sure that'll come in handy somehow.
2: Vander picks up the third gift. Tock,
5: I believe this is for you. Uh, Tock will uh, take it and uh, unwrap it.
1: Tock, inside you find a pillow. A quick investigation tells you that this is a very comfortable pillow and it will allow you to sleep uninterrupted for one hour are less damaged or vigorously shaken and slapped awake. This will allow you, an automaton, to sleep and perhaps dream.
2: That is awesome, but for a second I thought we might be in the employ of Big Pillow. <laughs> <laughs> a subsidiary of Big Bed. Vanda picks up the last of the gifts and greedily unwraps the one marked for him.
1: And inside Vanda finds a bowl. This is a bowl of soups once per long rest, any water can be put into the bowl and it can magically be turned into your favourite flavour of soup. I feel this might be a curse
3: on the rest of the group.
2: Yeah,
1: Augustus I'm...
3: tries to incinerate himself with his new
5: candle. <laughs> 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 okay, next adventure, the desert. <laughs>
2: this is quite simply the most wonderful gift, or should I say, the second most wonderful gift I have ever received. Sincerely, my thanks, Abba Angamus. As Vander lifts and takes a truly horrific slurp from his soup.
5: Indeed, you have my thanks also, Abba Angamus.
0: Whenever you hear that slurp, you'll think of me. <laughs>
5: In an increasingly bitter way.
0: <laughs> One more thing I might be able to do for you if you can cure the blight, destroy the cause of it, and free me and yourselves. I have one last spell, it is a wish spell. It will be for the whole party. On one occasion only, you can cast it and it will grant whatever you like. That would be my parting gift to you, but only if you're successful in this quest. And unfortunately doesn't give this exceptional present or this
2: offer the reverence it deserves because he is now nearly covered in soup. But he nods greedily in the direction of Papa Angamas,
3: well, Augustus knows what he's wishing for. We find Vander drowned in his own soup bowl tomorrow morning, right?
2: <laughs> Gentlemen, I think, given our situation, we should enjoy this night for tomorrow. I fear we have to plunge into the depths and there find the source of what Papa Angabas speaks.
4: Classic Boxing Day.
1: (laughs) (laughs) You spend the rest of the evening in the company of Papa Uncumus, eating and drinking to your heart's content. With your bellies full, your wounds healed, and a sense of festive joy surrounding you, you prepare for one last sleep before the off. Unconcerned with any of your previous trials and tribulations, caring not one bit for what the future may bring, and oblivious to the shadows in the far distance moving quickly across the City of the Dead. Our listeners, thank you once again for all your support on this journey. And a very special thank you to Richard Godden, who brought Papa Ungamus to life, is the voice of God for the show, and has shown continuing support for us over the last few months. We'll be back in the new year with the continuing adventures of Dice Company. Until then, we have the great honour to introduce the Reverend Mark Stennett with a blessing for us all. But from me and the gang, thank you, Merry Christmas, and for 2023. We'll end it there. Over to you, Reverend. May you find blue sparks of life in your tinkerings, a sense of satisfaction in your soup or cheroot, good cheer in your festivities, whether with four-legged beast or aristocracy, and may you find extra plain art peace this Christmas time.
5: So I saw a couple of people uh, wandering around in um, full harness, um, so like uh, suits of chainmail with uh, plate armour on top.
1: Where do you live again? It- <laughs> the Renaissance fair or Shire?
5: <laughs> it was in Swindon, uh, but yeah, no, I definitely understand the disadvantage on stealth checks because good. God, is it loud? It's like a, mar- it's like a, you know, personal marching band just going, like, the whole time, clanking. It's ridiculous.
1: I thought your personal marching band was Benny whenever he tried to stealth anyway. <laughs>
2: It's a strange quirk of history that uh, three and a half thousand years ago we couldn't do so much as make bronze weapons, but we did make Abacar.
4: And it's been in someone's cupboard ever since, and they keep meaning to get it out at Christmas when they quite getting around to it. I
5: do despair at Charlie's understanding of history. Three and a half thousand years ago was the height of the Bronze Age. <laughs>
3: I can everyone else, can everyone else nod as if we didn't know that we did know that and Charlie's the fool for not knowing when the Bronze Age was.
1: God, Charlie, don't know where the Bronze
3: Age Bronze is. Too. <laughs>
2: I, I, well, I do have other screens, but mine isn't like Harry's open on Wikipedia Bronze Age for idiots. <laughs> <laughs> yes. God bless us, everyone. We're getting peshed.
0: <laughs> hey, I'm sorry, And <laughs> hey. Watch the watch the Queen's
3: speech or the King's speech and, you know, off. Have a, have a vicious argument
5: over Scrabble and then be gone. I <laughs> oh, wonder what the Emperor's speech is going to be like in uh... yes, <laughs> Salazar's speech.
2: Another year of domination.
3: <laughs> I speak to you from the
1: Ravager. <laughs>
0: At this time of year, I am often asked, why are you such a bastard? (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for listening. Please consider supporting Dice Company on Patreon or on Apple Podcasts, where for the price of a cup of coffee, you get access to a whole other show, Extra Rules, where the gang look back over previous chapters of the Dice Company story, Don't forget, you can find us on our socials at Dice Company on Blue Sky, at Dice Company Pod on X, and at Dice Company Podcast everywhere else. If you enjoyed this chapter, please like and subscribe, and don't forget to recommend us to your friends. If you didn't like it, recommend us to your enemies. And we'll see you next time on Dice Company.